We are in the middle of a series, as Katie had mentioned, where we are talking about heaven. We are talking about heaven and the afterlife. And actually opened this up last week, and we're in part two today, and I just feel like it's good for us right now um, to just come to this place where we talk about what it looks like after we die as believers, but also understanding what it looks like for, for the unbeliever as well, because the Bible speaks a lot about it. Now, if the Bible didn't talk a lot about it, I wouldn't see any merit in standing in the pulpit and speaking to you about it. But the Bible does speak a lot about it. Certainly, there's more mystery about heaven and the afterlife than there is understanding. I think we would all get that. But the Bible gives us a lot about it nonetheless. And I think the reason God does that is not so much to satisfy itching ears or kind of our curiosity, appease us. I think the reason God does this is so that he can encourage us and build us up in our faith and hope in a way where we can live in this temporal world while we're here entirely unafraid of death. How many people want to be able to say, I'm not afraid to die, right? And that's a statement I believe from all of the context of Scripture that God gives us enough in His Word to equip us with to be able to say as Christians, I'm not afraid to die. Certainly not every Christian can say that, I know that. I mean, we know there are a lot of people who certainly love Jesus and you know, go to church and pray and have a great relationship with God, but for whatever reason, maybe it's an area that the enemy has got a hold on over their lives, or maybe they've just not been uh, revealed the understanding through the word about heaven, but they live in this place where they're, they're terrified of death. They're terrified of dying. I think we're seeing a lot of that right now in our world and the way things are shifting and changing it's almost like the enemy is using the spirit of fear to try and attack in whatever way he can now listen i am be the first one to say we need to be wise and not reckless or careless um, we need to be safe we need to remain healthy we need to take all those things into consideration. It would be foolish to ignore all of that, okay? But at the same time, it's not okay to live for a long extended period of time, hold up, isolated, for the main reason, not, not so much that people are scared of getting sick, but that people are afraid of dying. Am I making sense? That, that, that at the end of the day, when we read the Bible, we have to acknowledge that that's not okay. It's not okay to live under a spirit of fear and being afraid to die so much that it changes the way you live. I think that we're seeing that happen in a lot of ways. And so we're, we're talking about in this series, I'm not afraid to die. How many people have ever wondered, thought about, what's, what's heaven going to be like? Right? Have you ever wondered and thought about that and envisioned, you know, anticipate what that's going to look like? That's a good thing. I just want to tell you that. That's a good thing. Now, we don't want to just come up with or formulate ideas that have no ground or no merit in our head, base our thoughts and beliefs on something that's very erroneous about what heaven will be like. We can't do that. You can't develop doctrine off of just opinions and thoughts. You have to establish it out of the Word, right? So we go to the Word and we say, wow, God, you give us a lot in here about what heaven is going to be like. And it can really paint a great picture for us of the things that we can look forward to and the things that we can actually get excited about while we're living in this world right now. Let me say it like this. You could actually be excited to die. That sounds a little weird, I know. But I'm trying to challenge you a little bit. I'm trying to shake you up in your thinking a little bit around this, I had a guy last night tell me, I thought this was really good. He said, I love the way you're going at this. He said, you're talking about death. And so it's kind of like, you know, pulling people in. He's like, but really you're talking about life. 
And I was like, man, that's really good. I'm going to use that tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rodrigo. That was excellent. And so what I want to do today here in part two is I want to go through a series of pairs, a series of pairs, things that are uh, contrasting one another. And when I do that, I want you to look at this through the lens and understand that these two contrasting points that they, are, they have a very different application for the believer and for the unbeliever, okay? That they're very different in the way these things work out. The contrast of the two shows itself in how it applies to a believer versus an unbeliever, okay? So the first point, if you're taking notes, number one is there's two lists, two lists, now, I'm not talking about the naughty and nice list. <laughs> Time of year, that's probably where your mind immediately goes. Hope you're on the nice list. Um, but the Bible speaks about a list or lists, or maybe a better way of saying it is books. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. And I'm going to read the first three verses here in Daniel. Um, and a number of scriptures that I'm going to go through today, we're going to kind of, we're going to touch on them and then we're going to come back to them again in other points because a lot of these scriptures around heaven, around what happens after death, um, there's a lot to unpack in them and I want to try to tread as deep as I can tread with you and, and lead you through this in a way hopefully that allows it to come together in a fairly simple uh, approach. Okay, so number one is two lists. Let's read Daniel chapter 12. It says, at that time, now that time, you got to understand, this is a prophecy from Daniel, and he's speaking about the end, when the Messiah will return. Does that fascinate you, that Daniel, who lived 5-600 BC, is talking about a time that would occur thousands of years later, and he's, he ends up being exactly precise in the way all the other things he talked about that have been fulfilled have come to pass? It's just amazing to me. So Daniel's speaking about this in chapter 12, and he says, at that time, which means at the end, at the return of the Messiah, at the end of days, Michael will stand up. Michael is an archangel. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered everyone who is found written in the book. Now, there are a lot of scholars that believe, and I think there's a good case for this, that this particular reference of at that time, a time of trouble like the world has never seen, and those who are written in your book will be delivered from that trouble. There's a lot of scholars who would say that's a direct reference to the rapture, which I think there's a really good case for, that the, the, those who are in Christ in some way are delivered from, in some ways, delivered from the terror and tribulation that exists over the land. Now, there are some who will be converted during the tribulation and will eventually be martyred for their faith. We know that happens too. But this is a very interesting verse. And the part that jumps out at me that I want to hit on is he says that they're written in your book. You see that? They're written in your book. So God has a book or list or book, books. There's things that are recorded in heaven, and I just want to encourage you that this is a literal sense, that there's events that will take place where these records will be pulled out and they will be viewed, spoken about, and there will be implications from what these books are saying, okay? And so we know that throughout the Bible, there are many instances where these books or this list is referenced. Moses said to God, he prayed that he would forgive the people of their sin in the wilderness, said, if you won't forgive their sin, God, would you just blot me out of your book, which you have written? Moses had an understanding about the book. Paul refers to the book as the book of life. We see that in more than one occasion. The author of Hebrews says that the church of the firstborn, which is all of us who are the body of Christ, says that you are registered in heaven. That's pretty cool, a heavenly registry, right? 
The, uh, the John in Revelation calls it the Lamb's Book of Life. And Jesus himself said, for those of you who believe in me, you should be uh, rejoicing because your names are written in heaven. Man, this fascinates me. This fascinates me that when we come into a relationship with Christ, according to Scripture, that there is a record that is written in heaven of our name. God knows our name. And it says in Revelation that those who are in Christ, when this time comes, we will be clothed in white garments, which is the robe of righteousness or the wedding garment, and says we'll not be blotted out of the book of life, and Jesus confesses our name before the Father and all of the angels. That's in Revelation 3. Now, this is amazing because in 1 John, Jesus is referred to as our advocate, which is like our lawyer, our attorney, our defender, right? And he's always doing that for us even now in the heavenly courts, right? He's interceding and he's advocating for us who are children of God. But at this time when these books are pulled out and record, they're looked at, I, I just get this picture in my head. I hope you do too. Jesus is standing there before the throne, before the Father, and all of the angels in heaven, and he's confessing our name before all of this audience. Your name will be spoken by the Son. <laughs> and he's, when he's saying it kind of like this, I'm paraphrasing, but uh-uh, they're on the list and they're getting in. Have you ever gone to a place before where you're like, ah, I, I'm on the list, you know, I'm, I'm on the list, and they're like, I'm sorry, you're not on the list, you know, you can't get in. You're like, I'm on the list, check again, you know. Well, Jesus is the highest authority. He's pulling out this book when the time comes where the decision, where everything's being settled, all the accounts are being settled from all the ages, and Jesus is going to say in a very personal way, Michael is on the list. Christy is on the list. He's going to confess your name before the Father and the angels. This thing's going to get real personal. We don't get lost in a cloud. It's going to be real personal, and Jesus knows exactly who you are. Isn't that amazing? But there's consequences for not being in the book. And I'm going to talk to you about some of those things today. I'm going to talk to you about the realities of hell, too. Because, fr frankly, there's no time... And no uh, space for us to shy away from this. There just isn't, okay? There's a lot of people even in the church that say, well, you know, uh, I'm not so sure that hell's a real place. I think it's figurative. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. It is so much a place, and the Bible speaks so much about it, that if we ignore it and shy away from it, I just think you are headed on a slippery slope, baby. You better, better really get clear about what it says. But the thing is, is the way that we look at it, see it, and talk about it. For the believer, it's not anything that would frighten or bring terror to us. It's an encouragement of what we're delivered from. And even more importantly, it should be a driving force that puts us on mission today for Christ to say there's still time for people I know and care about to not end up there. And we're driven by love and compassion to see people saved from a sentencing of what would await them if they do not know Christ. It says if they're not written in the book of life, listen, in the end when the time draws near and tribulation is occurring and the Antichrist is on the earth, it says those not written in the book, they will marvel at the beast. that They will worship the Antichrist. So for those that are not in the book of life, let me say it this way. They will be incredibly deceived. There's so many people in this world that they, they, they think they're, they're under like a spell of intellectualism. They think they're so astute. You know, and I, I don't, I, I give credit for the accomplishments in education and all that. But I'm just telling you, I'm not at all impressed <laughs> with what intellectualism means in terms of exalting someone to a higher place of enlightenment. It does not impress me. It does not impress me. 
And the fact is, is no matter how enlightened anyone thinks they are, if they're not in Christ, there is absolutely a veil over their eyes and they cannot peer into the truth of what's actually happening. It says they'll be, they'll be totally deceived. They're, they're going to worship the Antichrist. In fact, they're going to marvel at the beast. He's going to be very impressive to them. He's going to have a lot of fame, and he's going to be uh, very attractive to the one who is deceived by the deceiver. See, there are consequences. So let's read about what happens when these books and these lists are pulled out. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 this is, this is a time known as the great white throne judgment. Okay, this is when the things are all being settled in the heavenly realm after Jesus. He's already come back. And it, so it's all, and it's entirely in the spiritual realm. Everything's occurring now. Then I saw just John speaking. He has a vision from the angel of heaven. He says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, listen to this, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. But get this, the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. So what's happening at this point is that all of the unbelievers... And rebellious spirits from all of the ages are now being judged once and for all for eternal sentencing. That means demons, fallen angels, and it means rebellious spirits. Anyone who's died who has rejected Christ in this life. And there's the judgment that's now taking place. And he says they're being sentenced. And the books were being opened. So he says there is a book of life, but there were other books being opened and they were judged according to what was in those books. Or in that list. Are you with me? So there's a book of life. There is a, a book for the believers. But there's also another list. What is that? It says in Jeremiah 17, 13, those who depart from the Lord shall be written in the earth. You see, there's another list, another account for those who never choose to receive Christ, who reject him in this life and don't actually get recorded in the heavenly registry. So I'm just going to make an obvious statement. We want to be on God's list, don't we? Well, can I tell you something? Can I encourage you for a minute? If you know Christ right now, if you've given your Lord or your life to the, Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Your name's on the list. It's already there. It's already written. And Jesus is looking over that and watching over that. And there will come a day where that book will be open and your name will be confessed by Jesus himself before all of the heavenly courts. This fascinates me. Does it fascinate you? Love this stuff. In uh, the book of Joel, the prophet says this. He says, there will be no alien or foreigner that will be able to pass through into holy Zion. So he's talking about New Jerusalem in heaven. No angel or foreigner will be able to pass through. So you got to be on the list to get in, and what this means is that if you're a foreigner to the family of God, if you're a stranger to the family of God, an alien is what that means, then you won't be able to pass through into the holy courts of Zion, New Jerusalem. You see, there's, there are things that guide, principles that guide how we are allowed in. And despite what people think in this world, it's not like, well, I'm a good person, and, you know, I just, I, you know, I love people, I'm good, I mean, I'm, I do good things. Again, not to make light of that, but that merit is not going to allow you to be able to live forever. It's just not. I mean, it's just real clear that, that there's only one way to get in. You've got to go through the narrow gate. You've got to pass through Jesus himself, the person, the relationship that he wants to have with you you got to receive him. He says that you can't get in if you're not on that registry. My wife, she had a grandfather, when she, her grandfather when she was younger, whom was a really special, uh, important person and just, you know, in their life. And I think you were 12 when he passed away, right? Eight. And so um, he was this 
this major influence in her life, and he passed on when she was a young kid. Well, he was from Scotland, so there was this awesome moment a few years ago where the family was able to get a hold of the ancestry or the registry that like goes back and records all the lineage and all the family for like hundreds of years, you know? Pretty cool, isn't it? So she could see like who her family was and who his family was, and, it, and she knew that was the case because it was recorded. But even then, it only went back so far. I mean, at some point, it just became vague after that, right? It ended. But we are a part of a family registry who are in Christ. Do you know that? We're not strangers. We're not foreigners. We're actually family, part of God's family. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 2, 19, it says this, therefore you are no longer, we were before we knew Christ, okay, we were strangers, he said, but you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Hallelujah. We are family, so we are recorded, and we're getting in. I don't know about you, but that excites me. So number one is two lists. Number two is two births. Two births. Now, the first birth is physical, natural, fleshly. It's birth by way of the womb. Marcus, do I need to explain that one a little bit? Are we all good on the first birth? Because I'm kind of an expert. I mean, I've been through it six times. I mean, and then a couple other family members who let me in. I'm just kidding. That would be weird. Yeah. I'm just... All right. Anyway, we're all good on the first birth. All right. If you're confused, see me afterwards. All right. Let's talk about the second birth second birth. In order to do that, let's go to John chapter 3. There's this really cool story where Jesus has this encounter with a, 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 a Pharisee, and um, his name is Nicodemus, and he's considered a really wise Pharisee, and seemingly, he's really interested in knowing the truth. In fact, he seems to have a lot of regard for Jesus because he calls him rabbi, but he comes to him at night, which indicates that he's probably trying to do it in a stealth-like manner because if his other Pharisee cronies find out, they're probably going to ridicule him because Jesus wasn't real popular with Pharisees. You know that, right? Um, and I tell you this, the, the Bible isn't real popular with people who have a Pharisaical spirit today either. It's just not. So this is what we read, chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher and that you come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? That's a fair question, right? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Don't you love Jesus' comeback? <laughs> I love Jesus, man. I mean, I love him, but I love for loving him, but I just I love the way the dude operates, you know. I mean, he's just like, he's like, aren't you a teacher? Aren't you teaching all these people? Like, you don't know, you know. It's just like he's saying, I'm the authority here, buddy. But he speaks about a second birth, or he says, born again. Now, th this is where we get that phrase that you hear probably a lot in Christian circles, born-again Christians, right? Well, it, it has biblical merit. It's a biblical expression. It means to be born again. In fact, if you read it and study it, you could say it another way, born from above. Born from above. So he says that there, there's the physical birth, the natural birth, which is that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Obviously, obviously, we've all experienced that. But he says the second birth is birth of the Spirit. 
It's a different kind of birth, and it's a different kind of life that actually starts to uh, spark on the inside of you. We all experience natural birth when we come into this world. It's not until we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior where we experience a second birth. So we're we're not guaranteed a second birth. We have to choose something in this life, and that something is what we do with Jesus. And if we choose to receive Jesus, it says, then we are born again. We pass through a second birth. Again, fascinating to me. Because actually what Jesus is speaking about is a fulfillment of a prophecy that Ezekiel gave many years earlier when he said, when, when the Messiah comes, he says, God says, I will put my spirit in them. I will take the heart of stone out of them and I will put a new heart of flesh in them and I will be their God and they'll know my ways. So when we are born again, the spirit of God comes to live on the inside of us. It's a new birth, a second birth. I'll never forget whenever the day came, whenever I was younger and I gave my life to Christ and confessed him as Lord and Savior, and the Spirit of God came to fill me, and I was born again. All I can say is, I knew that I was different. I knew that something changed. I could not put language to it right away. That's why I had to get discipled, and that's why I had to get in the Word, and that's why I had to get in a good church and get raised up, because I couldn't put language to it right away, but I knew something was different, very much knew that. As I began to get discipled, and I began to study the Word, and I began to hear things like born again, Spirit of God coming to live on the inside of me, then I was able to, that's it, that's actually what happened to me. Have you ever been there before? You're like, that's, that's exactly what happened. Now I understand, now I can put words to that, I can put language to that. And I think we have to never, ever, ever stop being fascinated and enamored with any one individual who experiences the second birth. <laughs> I mean, this should never stop fascinating us when someone goes from death to life. They were dead, the Bible says. Not physically, but spiritually, there was no life there. There's no life spiritually until the second birth happens. Every one of our kids looking back as they were born, it's like there was life, there was life before them, but then there was life after them. And the only way I know to explain it is it was just different afterwards and it was never the same again. And I can just hardly even imagine life before they came. And that's how we need to think and look at how we come into a second birth or being born again. And when people around us experience that thing as well. We were dead before and now we live. There was no life on the inside of us before and there's life on the inside of us now. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that you're a new creation. You're not even the same person. You don't even have the same makeup anymore. Because there was no life in you, and now there's spiritual life. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. Woo! Isn't that powerful? Oh, I'm a... Oh, Peter says it this way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he says, You've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. He, he actually gives this analogy, this expression of seed, which is awesome. It's like this, this seed comes, the spirit comes and lives on the inside of you, and now there was always life in the seed. The difference is now it's on the inside of you, and now it's living, so the life that was always there is now actually on the inside of you, and you've been born of that. Not of corruptible seed, which is the words of men, it's the things of this world, the temporal things that fade and have no eternal uh, foundation. He says, that's not the kind of thing you've been born of, not the fleshly, not the worldly. You've been born of incorruptible seed, which means perfect. Perfect, and he said it lives and abides forever. So think about this for just a second. The seed of God's eternal life has been deposited on the inside of us. And that seed is God's spirit. It lives and abides forever. So the life that we are born into 
lives and abides forever. Oh, let me say another way. You're going to live forever. <laughs> You're going to live forever. Because the life that comes to live on the inside of you, it's God and it's eternal. That's the life you're born into when you're born again in the second birth. It, it actually amazes me because when you really start to look at this thing, you understand that this was God's design all along for his creation. It's actually how he intended it all along. It got jacked up, but God redeemed it. <laughs> and he's still redeeming it even now as we're walking the earth. Look, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, talking about the creation of man, God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You could say it another way. He breathed the spirit of life into him. So think about this with me for a minute. I don't know if you've ever caught this or you've ever realized this. Before sin, Adam and Eve functioned in the state that God intended for us to function all along. They had spiritual life on the inside of them. And it went on to say, God warned them. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, what? You'll surely die. Whoa. Hold the phone. Man was meant to live forever. <laughs> That's powerful, isn't it, Jen? Man was meant to live forever. He said, don't eat of the tree, you'll surely die, which means you're not dead now. You're alive, spiritually alive. Physically, yes, but your, your blood was flowing through his veins, but his, God's spirit was living on the inside of them as well. Let's paint a picture of that existence. They were in the garden. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They were, they were overwhelmed all the time by God's presence. God spoke to them. God talked with them. God was with them. They had everything that they needed. The tree of life was there. They ate of the tree of life so that they could what? Live forever. Oh, and God's spirit was living on the inside of them. But when, when sin came along and the fall happened, what took place? After that, they died. They died. So the life of God that was in them whew, left them presence of God changed. They were banished from the garden. Cherubim still stand with flaming swords of fire guarding that at the gates right now. They were banned from that existence and presence of God like they were created to be in. And, and they were meant all along to live forever. But that plan is going to be restored. It is being restored. Because, and I love this about God, peer into this with me for just a minute. Right after sin happened, certainly God goes by and says, okay, you know, you have to die now, and you're leaving the garden. And he says, and uh, the ground that you work is going to be cursed, childbirth is going to be cursed, there's going to be a curse over the land. Like, that's the consequence of this. But in the same moments, he says to the servant, he says to Satan, but you're going to be cursed too. And I'm telling you right now, her seed, capital S, son, her seed is going to bruise your head, and your head's going to bruise his heel. What is he doing? He's all, oh, God is already talking about a plan for redeeming this thing. And that plan would eventually come to pass through the son, Jesus, who God would send to redeem the world. Listen to this, in 2 Corinthians, uh, or 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Oh man, this is unbelievable. He's, he's comparing in these verses, this is really thick and deep, and it's a good study, but he compares Adam and Jesus, and he says they're like antitypes, which means they're similar but also opposite. And he says that Adam is the one who, by him, sin came into the whole world. Because of what happened in the garden, everyone who's born in the first birth is born into sin. So because of one man, sin entered the whole world. But because of another man, Jesus, that man, capital M, 
life can now come and enter the whole world. They're similar, but they're different. Because one man brought death to all, and this man will bring life to all who will receive him. <laughs> we got to have a new birth. we got to have a new birth. And there are people, listen to me, this is where I want to leave this point with you before we move on to the last one. There are people who are walking around this world right now who are alive in the natural, but they're very much dead in the spiritual. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it spoke of, about the church of Sardis. God says, you're, the, you're a dead church. The church of Sardis. He says, you're alive, but you're really dead. <sighs> Meaning, yeah, there's natural life there, but there's no spiritual life there. Walking dead people. Think of it like that. But we can do something about that. Did you know that? We can't save people, but we can share the news and the testimony that we carry and the life that we've actually entered into. And I think sometimes we overlook, like I know a lot of people say, man, you know, things are so bad right now. And, oh, it's like, I just wish Jesus would just come back now. And I think, look, I'm talking about how amazing heaven's going to be. And what we talked about last week, Paul says, I struggle between staying here and leaving. And so, yeah, I get that. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, oh, I'm ready for Jesus to come back now. But I do think that we must recognize the fact that he hasn't come, to me, is an incredible display of his long-suffering and mercy because he's still giving more people more time. And we are agents or vessels that are used to do something about that. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Last point. So we have two lists, two births. Last point is two deaths. Two deaths. And the first death is obviously physical or natural. But let me ask you a question. Is it an end or is it a beginning? <laughs> because... For the believer, it's really a beginning. It's not an end at all. It's the beginning of an even new and better existence, eternally speaking. But it says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, it's been appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now, let me just touch on for a second this whole after this, the judgment. So there's an after this. There are events after death that will happen. Many events. And he says in, in this particular place, one of those things is the judgment. Now next week, I'm going to talk about the two judgments. And I hope you'll be here for that because it's some really fascinating stuff too. But he says it's been appointed to men to die once. Now some people died twice. You ever think about that, Nancy? Lazarus, others that were raised from the dead, they actually died twice. I've been here before, you know, I mean, it's just like, ah, don't scare me, you know. They died twice. So when they were risen from the dead, they, they were raised in their natural life. Life came back into their physical body, and then they lived however many more years, and then eventually, however old that Lazarus was and others, I don't know, but they died again. Die twice. But it's been appointed to all to die once, it says. So everyone who's born into this world will experience death one day or another. And a lot of people don't like to think about that. A lot of people want to stay away from that. But the interesting thing is, is that if you don't look through a biblical worldview or the lens of Scripture, then there's absolutely nothing interesting or fascinating to draw you into that topic. But when you think about what the Bible says about eternal life and about heaven, it actually is something that will give you hope and encouragement when you think about your own mortality. He says, yeah, you've, it's been appointed to everyone to die once. But the Bible actually speaks about a second death. Did you know that? Second death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11 he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. 
Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Now, time out. Next week, we're going to talk about the two resurrections. He says, so for right now, we're not going to tread into it deeply. Let me just say it this way. He who takes part in the first resurrection, so let me just say, he who's born again will experience the first resurrection. But for those, what does he say? Reading on in verse 6, over such the second death has no power. Wow. He escaped the second death, has no power. Those who are in Christ, born again, take part in the first resurrection. Second death, it won't touch you. So what is the second death? What is that? Well, let's go back to Revelation chapter 20. Find it here. We read this a little bit earlier about the great white throne judgment. Now let's read it again. Remember I said we're going to come back to certain verses and plow deeper. So let's start in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the second death is the eternal sentencing of all rebellious spirits into the lake of fire. It's going to happen. It's an event that will take place. And we need to understand that. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this place because the Bible tells us about it. It says it's a place that burns with fire and brimstone. It says it's a place that there is no rest day or night for those who are there in their torment. It says it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, do you remember last week, if you were here or if you watched online, I said, for those who are in heaven, you can never shed a tear, right? You can never be sad. You can never cry. But in the lake of fire, in the second death, there's constant weeping. And I thought about this. I thought, is that, what, what is that from? Is that from pain? Is that from like, I mean, I'm sure that the agony runs so deep, I can't even really put my head around it. But I also think that there's weeping constantly because there's eternal regret. Think about it. Those who are above the earth, on the earth, and where? Under the earth. Will bow the knee and confess with the tongue. So even in the lake of fire, there's an awareness that Jesus is the son. There's eternal regret, I believe, that's even happening in that moment. It says in Luke chapter 16 that there's a great gulf fixed between these two places, heaven and hell, heaven and lake of fire, and none can pass through that gulf. Those who are here cannot. So, so what does that mean? It means right now there's still time. That's what that means. But once the end happens, once we depart this world, it's too late. There's no more opportunity to move from here to there. The gulf is fixed. But right now, while we walk this earth, the gulf can be closed. The chasm can be closed. What's the bridge? Jesus. He's the way. So people can go from a pending, and I stress the word pending, Dan, eternal sentencing into the lake of fire, to being born again, being registered in heaven, and actually having access into the heavenly courts. Isn't that powerful to think about? Wow. And what does this, the Bible tell us for those who will escape the second death? Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 through 7. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. It's glorious, isn't it? This is nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing about this that should cause your spirit to tremble. It should only cause your spirit to rejoice in great hope and anticipation. He says when, we, when we're there, that we would drink freely of the fountain. A fountain springs out and never stops running, right? A pool just sits and sleeps. Fountain keeps gushing. It says he would drink from the fountain of the water of life. Well, it also says in Revelation chapter 22 that this fountain is a river clear as crystal that actually emerges from out from under the very throne of God and flows through all of heaven. It says that there is the tree of life that's there. Now, I want you to think with me for just a second. Let's think back to Eden, and let's think back to the garden, and let's think about restoration and redemption. God planned for man to live forever all along. Something happened, and God had to create a plan, had to put a plan in motion of redemption. He's going to redeem that which was originally designed. Now, think about this. There's a river that flows out from under the throne of God in heaven. There was a river in Eden. Remember that? And it flowed, and once it left Eden, it split four ways. There was a river in Eden. There's a tree of life that exists in heaven along the river of life. And it says that with that tree, those leaves will bring healing for the nations. And there will always be fruit for those to eat from, again, because we're going to live forever. What was in Eden? Tree of life. What did it have? Fruit. So that they could eat of it and live forever. Do you get that? And the other thing it says last week we talked about, it also says in heaven that there's no evil, there's no pain, there's no sin, there's no sadness, there's no tears, none of that exists, it's perfect. You will never experience any, any negative feeling or emotion, it's impossible, think about that. We can't even know what that's like right now. But you'll never have the ability to even feel, think, or see anything negative, hurtful, or painful. It won't even be there. And the entire time, all we will be able to do, we will never, ever, ever, even for a moment, be able to take our eyes or our focus off of Jesus. Because his glory engulfs all of this place. Everywhere you go, you're just... Think about your best moment in worship or prayer time, or anything else where the presence of God was just like the most overwhelming that you can ever remember. I pray you've had those moments, and I pray you have a lot more of them, but what I'm telling you is none of them will ever compare to every last second in eternity of what that will feel like, because the glory of God is just everywhere all the time. And he says this, he says, and when you get there, there will be no more curse. It's gone. It's lifted power of sin is completely defeated. It's the garden design, Eden's design, restored in an even more perfect way. Do you see that? You see, God's had a plan all along. Brothers and sisters, God's had a plan all along. And his plan includes his great desire is for you and for me and frankly every single person to be there with him it says the will of god is that none none would perish and so i'll close with this thought today and we'll pick up next week in the two judgments and the two resurrections But the will of God is that none would perish and all would come 
to everlasting life. And God is still doing that work today. Will we be a part of it? Because he wants you to. He desires, he longs for every soul right now that is perishing. I don't know how else to say it. Every soul that is perishing. The heart of God is that that would not happen. You understand that? He is grieved deeply over every soul that is perishing. And what we must do, church, is that our heart must reflect the heart of the Father. I, I, I need to be challenged with this. I need to be grieved over every person that's perishing. And I need to ask myself, God, can you use me to do something about this? I can't save anybody, but I'm an agent. I'm a vessel. I'm, an, I'm a person who's a, an ambassador carrying something with me. What am I carrying? Well, I'm carrying life. Carrying the very source, the very flow of eternal life. I'm alive, you're alive, and people are dead. What are we going to do about that? And so I hope that this message has blessed you today. I hope this has encouraged you. I hope this has helped paint a glorious picture for you of what's coming. I'm so looking forward to next week when we'll wrap this thing up, talking about two resurrections and two judgments, but I'll just remind you of what the title of this series is, and I hope as we move along that you're getting more and more in a place where you could say that. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. Would you say that with me? I'm not afraid to die. We have every reason to say that, do we not? Let's stand to our feet and let's worship the King before we go.